see some movement at the takeoff zone. It's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry. This thing holding open. It spits. When it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit. Spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good-looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got guy oh friggin yeah guy yeah friggin guy it's uh monday and it's september 28th and yeah how are you david scott bass david lee scales with you it's spit and i'm in the process of printing today's show forgot to print it print it now david don't hey save a tree can't you just read it on the exact computer screen that we're staring at each other at on hat right now no i'm kind of i'm like that flutzy floodly old guy that just you know i'm still kind of analog a little bit all right i'm not gonna argue with you i don't even own a printer wow yeah how about that okay boomer (laughs) that's what you should have said you know what the worst part about owning a printer is is buying ink ink is like the most expensive liquid on the face of the planet oil is cheaper than ink yeah you're you're on to something that's true and ink's a pain in the butt you know no doubt about it speaking of which guess who's out of ink (laughs) (laughs) do you have back you have backup stash i'll just move it over here okay i'm doing what you suggested i'm just moving it onto my other screen over here um yeah what were you doing with that guitar pick in your mouth when we uh logged on i was playing guitar uh, I was preparing for the show with some. Is that the ginger beer thing? No, that's no, this, to- this is Topo Chico. It's the old label Topo Chico. The wow. doing a throwback thing. Old school. Yeah. Um. Anyways, so is that how you spend your afternoons, waffling away on the guitar? <laughs> uh, sometimes I'm guilty of that. Yeah, and it's not usually good. I mean, it's fun while it happens, but I mean, something else is being neglected. But. Um, Right now we're in a friggin' just a state of COVID for, for live events, for trade shows and, and live music. And, um, you know, the whole event industry is sort of up in arms, actually. I was on a big meeting. I don't know if I want to bore the listeners with this, but I was on a big meeting with um, the guys from the San Diego Padres and the PGA, professional golf, and um, the guy guy who runs the sports arena here in San Diego. It was basically a bunch of San Diegans. Bill Walton was on the call. A bunch of San Diegans that are trying to figure out what's going on with live events. You know, like we're, we're an advocacy group and we're trying to get some guidance from the state and it's very difficult. And um, I, I've got something I'll send you. Did I send you that McKinsey report? No. Okay, I need to send you that. You'll, you'll find that fascinating. So one of the things that I learned, I learned a lot from this meeting. And one of the interesting takeaways, which I sent over to Elo, is that they're expecting Australia to be the first nation state to kind of be over the pandemic and moving forward with their lives as normal. And why do you think that is, David? Because they locked down early? Well, that's part of it. I mean, that got them through the first kind of rush on hospitals and PPE, PPP. But no, the the reason is, is that Australia will mandate vaccines for the public. If you don't take the vaccine, you're out. Interesting. And I think it's fascinating, and I think it's, I think it's a good thing. I think it makes tons of sense. You cannot get herd immunity. I just love it that they're science-based. They're not like, 
oh my God, a vaccine, oh, you know, like Trump's going to put his DNA in it and I can't take it or whatever. You know, like there's just so much bullshit out there that, um, you know, I think it's cool that Australia is mandating the vaccine. Like I'm first in line for the vaccine. Thing is, if, if you and I take the vaccine and four others don't, like we're There's not no going to get the economy back. There's a plan to get the economy back. We have to adhere to the plan. Right. And if we all think we're smarter than the scientists, we're not going to go anywhere and we're going to be screwed. And this pandemic is going to go a lot longer than we need it to go, which means the economy is going to suck for a lot longer than we need it to suck. Yeah, but what about the scientists who tell you that um, Bill Gates is embedding nanobots in the vaccine to further control your mood and your actions and I your say, spending? Show me the proof. Show me the proof. There's YouTube videos that have proof. Oh, dude, there's proof. YouTube videos of fucking everything. I don't buy any YouTube bullshit. I watched last night and now you got me fired up on it. Oh, dude, how good is that? It's awesome. And that's my must moment. Everybody should, needs to watch that movie. I it's totally so agree. Yeah, it's really well I done. think it should be mandated in schools. Like when you're in eighth grade, you need to watch, or maybe even seventh grade. You and I listened to a number of the same podcasts. And so a lot of that information wasn't new. Like this is kind of stuff that we, we've been discussing for the last year or two. Um, but it, I'm glad to see it in that documentary format where they're interviewing everybody at once. They put it together really cohesively and coherently. And I think it actually is having some change because friends of mine, all of that information was new to them and they've stopped using, they've set the limit on their phone. You know, they can only use Instagram for 20 minutes a day or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, so I think that it will enact positive change. And I agree with you. It's a really, really well done documentary. Yeah. So anyway, that was my take. One of my takeaways from that thing is that Australia is going to be the first one that's, they're going to be laughing. They're going to be able to do, you know, move around their, their lives and their, nation state and, and be free and liberated from this particular pandemic. Okay, not to get too conspiracy theorists, but what are the odds that this kind of this, I don't know, the hysteria narrative or even just the concern about COVID goes away after the election, regardless of who's in office? I mean, I, 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 I don't know what to say to that. I the pandemic's not going away. The pandemic doesn't care about November 3rd. But the this pandemic has been treated very differently than other health scares and other viruses that we've seen in the last couple of decades. And I think that it largely is a reflection of a lot of the stuff that they talked about in The Social Dilemma, where um, there's just massive amounts of misinformation being pushed around and everything is more... Uh, bipartisan now than it's ever been before and polarizing politically. And so we certainly did not react anywhere near this way with SARS or H1N1 or any of the other things that we've seen in recent decades. And I don't think that we will even in five years from now, if there was another super virus that happened, this was a particularly extreme reaction to something that we've seen versions of in the past. And so I can't help but feel like that is partially due to, again, the, sh the spread of information now and misinformation and also political agenda to some degree. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. I mean, sure. But so I'm, I'm, well, what I'm saying is I'm wondering if 
that political motivation dissipates after the election. And again, regardless of who ends up in office, I don't know that the media and everybody will be pushing it in the way that uh, it's been discussed for the well, last here, nine months. I, lo- I look at it like this. And, and when you read this McKinsey report, you'll be, you'll get some insight into it. The economy isn't going away, or maybe I should put it more Bluntly, it could go away. The con- In other words, people are unemployed. There's massive unemployment, right? If people get sick and die, which, they're, which could happen, continue to happen, if we don't continue to take action, social distancing and wearing masks and all of that stuff, cleaning your hands. If the economy is taking a shit because of the pandemic, the pandemic's going to be front and center in the news. I mean, right. The economy drives the news cycle almost more than anything, you know? So like just because the election goes away, doesn't mean the unemployment goes away because if the pandemic's killing people, people are going to still be unemployed. Uh, again, the question is, is it killing working people? I mean, there it's killing the greatest to the greatest extent elderly, which we'd presume are not working, but the updated death rate is a, every time it gets updated, it gets reduced and it's a fraction of a percent. So the threat of it actually killing people is nowhere near what we thought that it was when all of these protocols got implemented. And you're talking about social distancing and wearing a mask. And it's like, dude, how a lot of that stuff's ineffective anyways, or the protocols that they're enforcing. Why why do you say it's ineffective? I don't understand why you you think it's ineffective. I'll give you an example. The the scientists are telling us to do it. I'll give you an example. The scientists are telling us to do it. So Why should I believe you over a scientist? I'm not asking you to believe me. What I'm saying is the protocols that they're implementing are ineffective. And I'll give you one example. I, no, let me, hear me out. I went to Costco to check out. I put all of my things on the conveyor belt with my ID behind the plexi. So there's like six feet of plexiglass. I put it there. It goes down the conveyor belt. I go on the other side of the plexiglass, go to the cashier. He goes, you got to come around and get your ID. Like, you can't just scan it. He goes, no, you got to come around and get it, put it on the plexiglass. So I go around and I get it, come around, put it up against the plexiglass. He scans it, then proceeds to pick up all of my groceries that I had also carried and scan those through. So it's like he could touch my groceries, but he can't touch my ID. It was completely nonsensical. So what I'm saying to you is so many of these protocols that they are enforcing aren't going to stop the spread. Like if I had COVID, it would have been on my groceries. That checker in theory would have gotten it. You know what I mean? So I'm not saying social distancing doesn't work. I'm not saying masks don't work. I'm saying the protocols that they're implementing are ineffective. And so how do you know they're ineffective? That example I just gave you, does that make any sense at all? That he would be able to touch my groceries, but not my ID? No, that doesn't make sense. Okay. That doesn't make sense. That's what I'm saying. You said all the protocols. No, I did not say all the protocols. I said... What I said, what I said, and I said, let me give you the example. Did did the plexiglass seem to work? Except for when he told me to come around and get my ID from him on the other side. Were you wearing a mask? Yeah. Was he wearing a mask? Yes. Okay. Did you get sick? No. Okay. But then it worked. Do you understand what I'm saying? No, the the plexiglass worked. The plexiglass no, he didn't have the it. He didn't have it, nor did I have it. So the mask didn't do anything. How in that case, you know he didn't have it? What How I'm do saying, you know he didn't have it? Are you missing my point completely? 
that yeah, if I had COVID, really it could have been on those groceries and he could have then gotten it. COVID's airborne. They've, they've already proven There you this. go. Okay, so there you go. Again, so the protocols. No, the protocols of wearing a mask and the plexiglass are good. Just because that particular store has something about where they want you to like put their, so what? Okay, whatever. My point is, look, there's going to be a couple shitty protocols. So the fuck what? Do the right thing, wear your mask, stay six feet apart and socially distance. That's all I'm saying. All the other little things that you're going to nitpick about and call it bullshit, that's fine. But wear a mask and stay six feet apart. You got pretty good odds of not getting sick. Um, Just what do I, the right thing. What I'm suggesting. Like I think complaining about that is kind of nitpicky. Who's complaining? You are. You're like, this is, isn't working. <laughs> First of all, this entire rant was your complaint. I'm chiming in I'm on ranting. your complaint. I'm not ranting. I bring it down a notch, David. Okay, I'm Who, calm, cool. Who's bringing it down a notch? Bring it down. Yeah, exactly. Is that Sophie I hear? Exactly. Um, <laughs> okay, anyways, my if- suggestion is that a lot of that stuff will go away after the election, or a lot of it is What's kind that? of... A lot of the things that I just explained, the protocols that are in effect, the ineffective Costco card by going around the only thing that you explained. One Costco protocol that that is ineffective, I will agree with you. All right, I'll check in with you after the election. That's going to go away. You said all of the things are going to go away. I'll check in with you after the election and see what the narrative is and how many how many of these protocols are still being enforced, regardless of who's in office. I will just check in then, and then I'll expect an apology. Well, no, when you say, pro- you say protocols that are being enforced, do you mean wearing a mask? Um, not, mean not, so- not necessarily wearing a mask specifically, but... Well, specifically, do you mean the Costco card thing with the plexiglass is not going to be happening here, anymore? Here's what I will say specifically, is that with the masks in general, if you're wearing a cloth mask that you haven't washed... That's potentially if you're taking it into Costco and getting COVID on that mask and not washing it and then taking it into the next establishment, you're in theory, you could be transferring COVID. We could have implemented. Yeah, Scott, you could. We could have implemented. Massive assumption. Why don't you wash your fucking mask? Exactly. I do wash my mask and I use disposable masks. But I'm saying that I'm saying you're saying everybody wear a mask. I'm saying you might have designed a world where everybody is capturing COVID and transferring it more effectively than they would if they were not wearing a mask and breathing fresh air. I'm up with this like David Lee scale science. I'm giving you everyone's got dirty masks and they're spreading it. Like what? what, Like so you think you think the vast majority of people are washing their masks? You think most people are washing their masks? I think that masks are a good idea because that's the scientists, the really smart people that went to school for a bunch of years. Are telling me i believe them i believe I think the they're science. i think they're talking like about I believe masks. The science with global warming with climate change i believe the science you can employ science and common sense fuck off. you can employ science and common sense by using a disposable there's mask nothing more commonsensical than science by using a disposable mask or one that is medically approved like a medical mask will do the job that but wearing, if you're wearing a bandana, if you're wearing one of those gaiters, like so do all you think of that-, that a bandana is no good? Like, do you think if I, if I have COVID and I'm wearing a bandana in, in situation A and in situation B, if I'm not wearing a bandana, you think the, the chances of you getting COVID from me are equal? Um, if you never wash that bandana and you put it down on a countertop when you go in somewhere, then yes, that is definitely a problem. So if I pick up a dirty bandana and put it on, 
you think that your chances of getting COVID from me with a bandana or without a bandana are the same. Okay. You're the one who has COVID. Right. Um, no. Not unless we touched yeah. each other or made contact. So in situation A, I don't have a mask. Situation B, I do have the bandana thing that's dirty that I never wash. You think that the, you're agreeing with me that those aren't equal situations, that the guy with the bandana, me with the bandana is a little bit safer. Uh, yes. If you had a COVID riddled bandana versus not having it and spraying your COVID in my face, yes, that's a better scenario. Exactly. So wear a mask. Wear your dirty bandana. Well, you, or here's, here's the better scenario. Wash the bandana. Wash the bandana or throw out the bandana, use a disposable mask and transfer or change yeah, Absolutely. Them. Yeah, okay. Show up, that's what show I'm up. saying. No, that's no, what that's saying. what I'm saying. No. You're saying. I said your okay. general your general kind of protocols that people aren't effectively implementing. You brought up one you brought up one I just protocol. brought up two. I just brought up two. You brought up the Costco protocol. That's all you brought up. I brought up two. Is this, this is a surf a podcast? Show. This is the worst show we've ever done. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, you want to you talk about your surfboard of the week in the background this time? Well, funny. So that's a Rawson that I've had and I've displayed before. But I've been riding the, this Wayne Rich that Wayne made me, I don't know, four or five years ago, that pink and black one. Oh, my God. You know that like feels like the first time song? Um. That's the feeling I have with this board. God, it might be because I'm in pretty good shape or something because I went bowling. But man, this board feels so good under my feet. That pink and black one, you know? The one that you displayed last week in the background. Yes, the, the bee dog. Oh, my lordy. And it's one of those moments where you're like, why have I been going through 15 different boards? This is the right board for me. Why don't I just ride this board all the time instead of stashing it away? Um, you posted it on Instagram too, right? Yeah, I was frothing about yeah. it. Yeah, so people, if they want to see the board, they can go to Boardroom Show to check it out. Uh, tell us about the board, the dimensions, what size, what I don't know the setup. exact dimensions. It's 5'9", I know that, and it's 2 and 5 eighths, you know, and it's like a kind of like a, a square squash tail, four fins. Um, it's kind of like a tweener board, you know, like it's not a fish, but it's not a contemporary short board. It's in between. And as you and I have discussed numerous times, a lot of times that doesn't work out. But this particular board just, it's, it's the kind of board where, you know how like you're surfing and people are like, hey man, that board looks really good under your feet. Like you're surfing markedly better than we've seen you surf, before, you know, in the past month yeah. or whatever. You know? And you can just tell, like the board's sprightly, you're flying around, all the moves are connecting Maybe it's because the waves were good too, by the way. Oh my God, how good were the waves on Saturday? I hope that you went helps. surfing. Yeah, that helps. Did you surf? Yeah. Saturday? Did you go? I did. Okay. Just checking. So <laughs> it was good and we surfed a lot. Um, so, you said you ride it as a quad? Yes. I am anti-quad. What's your, what's your um, selling point for the quad? I, you know... I've only ridden it as a quad. It's set up to be ridden either way. Um, and I've, I've tried a bunch of different fins in it, but I've never ridden it as anything other. And it was made to be a quad. And so I rode it as a quad and it worked good as a quad. So I didn't, I don't have any like, 
you know, what are the this benefits? is why it needs to be a quad fin moment or anything. What are the virtues of riding a quad? Well, generally, you, you kind of get a little bit more squirt. I feel like you get more squirt because there's water flowing through the back of the tail without a back fin kind of bogging you down, you know, bogging I, you down. See, I, I have, I don't know that I could say I have a board that is designed to be a quad, but I certainly have a bunch of boards that have the option to be quads. And whenever I've ridden them as quads, I don't like them nearly as much as I like them as thrusters where yeah. you said you have more squirt. I feel the opposite. I feel like I have more maybe drive and hold with the quad setup, but it's not necessarily as maneuver maneuverable where I feel like I get pivot maybe off of a third fin. And then if I ride a twin fin, that's a different experience entirely. The quad I feel like just keeps me driving forward and it's not, I don't know. I don't, I, I know I, t I hear guys talk about riding them in barrels. It's like, well, I don't really get the opportunity to ride big barreling surf very often. And maybe the quad would be better for that, but I don't, yeah. I never, ever, ever think I've kind of years ago decided there's no benefit for me to ride a quad. Wow. You, you should, you should get a board that's designed as a Maybe. quad because there are, I mean, there is sort of a marketing ploy to just put five boxes in a board. Right. And good luck, but they are gen, you know, you're like, okay, but it looks like a tri-fin. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, the other thing is I'm anti five boxes now because I'm anti quad. It's like the, the boxes add weight. And I know yeah. that you can put little, I don't know, not spacers, but the little plug in the fin to yeah. prevent the water from getting in there but that adds weight too. So I don't really want the extra fin boxes. I'll go twin fin or tri-fin, tri you know, like those are my options, but maybe, maybe the B dog is the board I get that I go quad on. I, I think, you know, it's, it's weird. You know, I hate to be the guy that's like, dude, you got to ride this board. It's going to be great. You'll love it. Cause it's kind of like recommending a book. People are like, Oh, I, or a movie. And you're like, no, I didn't really like that movie that much. You know? Yeah. But this, for me, and, and that's the thing, too, and I was telling my son, boards are just quirky, you know? Like, what works for me might not work for other people and totally. vice versa, and, and that's just the nature of the beast. But interestingly, this board behind me is set up as a quad right now. I ride this board as a quad. It's 6'6". Six, six, it's a round pin. It's kind of like a – it's his Impala model, which is kind of like a – I don't know. It's just a contemporary 6'6 six, six step um, up board. It's really good. So you ride it in big waves? Yeah, that's kind of my one of my winter boards. Gotcha. Yeah, um, it's a beaut. So hey, last uh, time we got an email simultaneously while we were recording the show from a guy named Andrew, and he was talking about the pros going to Indo. Yeah, and he was complaining basically, saying they shouldn't be flaunting it if they are going to be traveling and everybody else is locked down. They shouldn't be flaunting it. Yeah. So we read his email on air, and he followed up. I think within a day after we published that. And he said, Hey, I made it onto the podcast. Cheers, boys. I get your point. Cause we argued against him. So he's saying, I get your point. That email was written off the back of being smothered in smoke in Northern California for the last month. My kids have not been in school in seven months. They have not been able to play any sports. My brother and a good friend haven't worked since March. I get it that people are over this whole virus thing, but it's really impacting people in this country, especially everyone uh, who feels that they are an exception to the rule and they keep spreading the virus. I'm not overly fearful about getting the thing, but while the infection rate remains so high, people's lives will continue to be upended. 
and how freaking crowded is the surf now? Everyone is not going into work uh, or everybody's working from home. On a brighter side, I just ordered a custom twin fin from Stretch that I'm getting in a couple of weeks. So maybe uh, that'll put me in a better mood. I'll let you know how she goes. Boom. Cool. So I thought that cool. was interesting. Uh, from a couple of relatable, from a couple of points. Number one, we haven't discussed the fires at all that have been happening in California, but they are out of control uh, all across the West Coast, actually. Um, and a couple of stories that relate to surfing because of them. But also talking about how crowded the surf is now, which I'm absolutely experiencing. Um, and then we've never talked about stretch on the podcast. Stretch is definitely yeah. worthy of a conversation. Yeah, I'm. I'm not sure I'm completely prepared to yeah, be like no, the we don't have to. guy to talk about stretch right now. Um, you know, um, he's a world-class shaper that makes surfboards for world-class surfers and, and people all around the world have enjoyed his boards. And I'm trying to think if I've ever ridden one. I don't think I have. Well, related to the quad conversation, to. he does a ton of quads and he's been a huge proponent of the quad. I don't know, mainly maybe because uh, Nathan Fletcher rides them with great yeah. success. But. Yeah. You know, it's funny, like when I think of the quads and, and you think about the beginnings of the quads for me, the quad fin came in because the twin fin was too loosey goosey. And there was guys, mainly Glenn Winton from a professional surfer standpoint, who came on the scene mm -hmm. in like 82 or 83. And, and, you know, they were making these, he was ripping on these quads and they were just more stable twin fins you know stable you know what i mean like so yeah. you didn't get the washout that a twin fin might give you in a very vertical hollow situation and you know so this idea that i find it interesting that because you're not the first one to say oh you know they're for people like to ride them in barrels you know which they do they go fast you know but i've always just seen them as like hey if you like twin fins you're gonna love quads because they're like twin fins but better I don't think that's true either because I think twin fin has its own value, you know, that uh, quad can't replicate. Yeah, it's weird. I was with, um, I remember in, in like the mid 90s or maybe the late 90s or maybe the turn of the century. That sounds weird, turn of the century. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, Rich Pavel would take the keel fin, right? He took the keel fin from the twin fin, the wooden wood ply keel fin, and he just, kind of cut an arc into it and separated the two fins and made it his speed dialer. That's right. And if you put those two fins together, it's a keel fin. Yep. Right. The idea being, Hey, let's take this thing and just give it a little bit more drive off the tail, a little bit more hold. It won't wash out as much, you know? Yeah. 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 That's fascinating. Uh, have yeah. you seen or heard from Rich Pavel anytime recently? No. Um, People have always asked for him to get him as a guest on the podcast. And I've yeah. crossed paths with him every once in a while, every couple of years or so. And uh, I've never been able to tie him down. And even the conversation that we have without recording is almost untrackable. Like it's so nonlinear and abstract that um, I kind of relish, I like the idea of getting him on the pod, but at the same time, it's like it could be the worst episode ever. ever. But I feel like that is what the value is, is just letting him go nuts. Just turn the mic on and just let him talk for two or three hours and be like, well, 
that's for posterity to have whether you like it or not like it needs to be there for posterity you know yeah should i do it or no <laughs> you should do it right. i'll jump I'll on that talk, grenade talk for everybody talk to me later about that okay I know, hey, I know. We also got another e um, Instagram message about last episode. Um, Donnie from Sea Brothers Surfboards wanted to know who's singing um, on the closing song that you put in there um, on the last episode. Who? Who? What? I didn't. I do listen to each episode, actually. Do you really? I do. Good for you. Um, I mean, most of them, you know. And but I didn't I didn't catch the ending of this one. I'll have to look it up right now because um, I don't remember off the top of my head. But anyway, Donnie from Sea Brothers Surfboards is interested to know who who's singing so, that song. Um, I try to pick something that has a theme that's related to what we're talking about. Hold on. Oh, Tim Buckley. Tim Buckley, I don't know who's Tim. Tim Buckley is a folk singer from the 70s who died from a drug overdose. His son is Jeff Buckley, whose kind of most famous track was the remake of Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah. Oh. So okay. Je Jeff Buckley's kind of most famous track is Hallelujah. And um, sadly, Jeff Buckley actually passed away too. There was no drugs involved, but he was doing a show somewhere in the South and he went for a swim in a river and drown just completely accidentally drown in the river they found his body the following day like he swam into the river and everybody's just hanging out on the shore having a good time and he was gone eventually they were like where'd jeff go they found his body the next day down river the autopsy revealed there was no drugs in his system no alcohol just a complete freak drowning but his dad huh. tim buckley was um like a famous burgeoning folk kind of rock singer in the 70s whose career ended short due to, of course, I think it was a heroin overdose. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's a great track. That'll end your career quickly, a heroin overdose. It has, hey, a, um, has a tendency of doing that. Speaking of um, folk singers, so I watched an interesting documentary that you might enjoy. It's called, um, what a long strange, I think it's called A Long Strange Trip. And the it's like Grateful a five dead. or six Grateful yeah. Dead series. Yeah. Did you see it? I did. Yeah, it's really good. I'm not a dead guy. You know, I'm not necessarily like I don't I've never purchased a dead song. You know what I mean? Like I'm not into the dead. But I'm kind of I was fascinated by it. I thought it was just I, I'm more into the dead now than I've ever been, which isn't saying much. But um, yeah, good, good, good documentary. Really good. I'm really fascinated with the dead as a cultural kind of, um, I don't know, touchstone that people are so obsessed with, but I don't particularly love their music. Yeah, like, you nailed it. That's how I feel. And, and, and then to follow up with that, this movie does a lot to, to kind of feed your fascination. Yeah. And I, I don't dislike their music. Every once in a while, I'll hear a song or Spotify. I've used the Discover Weekly function where they every week they curate a new playlist for me based on all the things I've listened to. And often the, a Grateful Dead song will pop up in there or a cover of a Grateful Dead song. And it's like, Oh, I like this. This is good. But I certainly never followed them on the road or um, even bought an album or anything like that. Yeah. I have the same thing on Spotify and some of the dead songs have led me to like Chris Robinson and even 
Chris and Rich, his brother, not as the Black Crows, but the Robinson brothers kind of on their own. And they do a lot of that kind of that, that dead kind of vibe, you know, music, you know, like um, Lords from Little Feet and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, back to surfing, if you don't mind. Yeah. Did Laird Hamilton just become the richest surfer on the planet, Scott? I'm assuming he did because you're asking me this question. I don't know anything about it, but please inv- uh, let me know. Fill me in here. Uh, Laird Superfoods went public on the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, the IPO late uh, Tuesday of last week, so I guess one week ago, um, it IPO'd at 22 bucks a share. And the company sold 2.65 million shares to raise 58.3 million. Um, And the IPO pricing valued that company at 184.3 million. That was a week ago. Today, it closed at 43.50 a share. So almost double from what it IPO'd at one week later. Uh, I have no idea how many shares of it Laird owns. But even if he only owned, I mean, if he owned half of the company, like, I mean, he doesn't, but whatever it is, he made a ton of money last week. Good for him. I've used that product. I'm a big fan. I, that goes into my coffee every morning. Did they give it to you for free to discuss on this no. podcast? No, I pay for it, man. Why? I'm just a consumer. Where do you buy it and um, why? You know why? I'll tell you why. Because last summer I was down to be, or no, this was like, a year ago this is i don't know it was before covid and it was in the spring or summer anyway i was down to beach and i was talking to ted robinson do you know ted yeah i know of ted yeah so ted was like we were like kind of just talking about surfboards or whatever and he had a coffee drink in his hand you know and he's like here's what i do you know and he's, he's got this full-on thing he's like you know i make this blend and then I add Laird superfood with mushrooms and then I add that raw butter, you know, the, you know, it's what yeah. I mean, that raw owner. Yeah. The ghee or whatever it is. And then like he adds some other stuff too, like coconut oil. And then he stirs it all up and it's like this frothing drink that just like, and if you know, Ted, he's probably older than me by a couple of years, maybe. And he's just, he's a frother. Like he's got tons of energy and he's in the water three times a day. And, and so I'm like, shit, I got to do that. <laughs> so ever since then, I've been sort of on the Ted Robinson coffee plant. And it includes uh, Laird's Superfood. Why does it have to be Laird's? Hell, but I'm fired up right now. Why does it have to be Laird's Superfood? Or is that just what's convenient? It doesn't. Look, it doesn't. I just, I'm just following the recipe, you know? Yeah. Uh, is he going switch stance on the SUP on, a, on the front of the package? I haven't even, to be honest with you, I don't even... Like, look, I, I don't even okay. know. Okay. I'm sure so he is. I'm sure he, he honestly, is. I, I, they, they flipped the imagery. It's him on an SUP at what looks like, I don't know, a big barreling South Pacific wave, but he's goofy footed going right. And it's like. <laughs> so what? Well, I mean, clearly he's not going switch. Clearly it was a graphic design choice. Yeah. But I, I was like, I, don't, I would care. I mean, you have to. Why do you he's, care? Because Nobody Laird's lost so much integrity. Like Laird, dude, who is the archetype of, of a surfer, he has lost a bunch of integrity along the way by just taking his money grab options. How do you lose integrity by selling coffee stuff? Well, by, I'm just saying by having a switch stance 
superimposed image of yourself is nobody right. would let that fly. If you had a, if you had a, no, but if you had a photo of yourself run in a magazine at some point and they flopped it, you'd be up in arms. You just changed it. It's not a magazine. This is the front product design of a product that he's selling to, to like millions of people that don't even know what regular foot or goofy foot is. By the way, he's not. Magazine's a totally different thing. This is what you do. You're always like switching it on. Oh, you got me busted this time, Scott. Um, (laughs) but, um, the company was actually losing money when it IPO'd. Um, the, I forget what the numbers were, but it was like they're losing $20 million a year or something like that. I think they had earnings of 50 million, but it was like a $20 million loss last year. So I have no idea the way that numbers work nowadays. I don't understand how you can lose money and then still make money or get investors to give you money and you check out while the business is still losing money and somehow you get bonused out. None of it makes any sense to me. Well, here's, here's what I do know that I order mostly I'll order my stuff from Amazon. So Amazon's taking a huge chunk of their margin, right? Whatever their margin is. And or you can like get it at Walmart. So my point is, is that I'm sure that they had a plan or like, okay, investors, we want to show you this. You might be interested. Here's what's happening. This is why we're losing money. This is why we're raising money because if we can eliminate this thing over here, we're going to be at a stable place and you're going to rake in the money. Here are the numbers. You know, you know how it is. They lay out a big frigging portfolio on a big, you know, spreadsheet and they, you know, investors aren't stupid. They're like, okay, I see it. Yeah. Amazon screwing you out of 30% of your margin. Let's get a different distribution thing here. You know, I don't know exactly what they're doing, but yeah. the point is, is that they're not going to raise a bunch of money unless there's some smart people involved. Although or, there are some smart I mean, honestly, they just, all the investors were like, we just got to get this thing to IPO and the retail investors will buy this at 43 bucks a share and we'll get all of our money back. And apparently that's what happened, which yeah. I, I'm not convinced that investors aren't dumb. I feel like, well, I mean, yeah, that's feel- a pretty general statement I made. Why don't we come back to this stock price? I would love to, like, if there's some yeah. way you can put this on your little, you know, on your phone or something and just get the stock price. So we should have a daily Laird, like every week, let's have a, just a little quick little Laird daily stock price moment. We'll run a ticker tape you know on I mean? the bottom of our YouTube uh, video. <laughs> Seriously, have- we need just a, I just want to know, like, like, okay, it opened to 22 and like every day just go, okay, it's at 27 or it's at 30 or it's like, oh my God, it's at three bucks. I'm, I'm proud of Laird. I'm jealous of Laird and I'm proud of him. He, he has seemed to um, leverage his name kind of more successfully than anybody else. And it never resonates with the core community, except maybe this is, you know, it'll be like a line of SUPs that nobody rides or a line of clothing that has been around for five years that I never knew about until some listener sent it to me. Um, but, but he's, I mean, I, for all intent, I mean, by all reports, the guy's crushing. So good for him. He's a killer guy. He's a really good interview. He's super nice. I mean, and he's an insane water person. And I think that there's so many surfers that are like, Oh, Laird, Laird's lame. Laird's, you know, you know, Laird's so far ahead of everybody. It's ridiculous. So far ahead. And also does not care at all. Like I'd be shocked if he ever read any surf which is why he's that's why i'm stoked on the guy because he's like yeah. whatever see you yeah, later totally. spends you know, all like, his time in the water he was worried the if he was like yeah you know like i said if he was like on the surfer mag forum trying to get in it with somebody right. oh, you know like then i'd be like dude step away 
But which he's is, just like, woo, see which you later, is, I'm on a foil with a kite. That surprises me about Slater, by the way, is that he does spend so much time engaging with not only fans, but also trolls. Like, yeah. I, I'm shocked that number one, he has the time for it. And number two, that he even cares to engage. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised that his handlers aren't pulling him back on, dude, come on, you know, like, that's not good for the Slater brand. You no, know, like you to gotta argue be with to argue with flat earthers. Exactly. You know what well, I mean? that's, that's your crew, right? Those are the same non-maskers, flat earthers, <laughs> Costco card guys. Exactly. <laughs> Smart man. <laughs> um, oh, Lordy. Hey, did you know that it's September 28th? I did. There's been Xander Morton wrote a great piece. Not a, That's actually two paragraphs. Let's just get real. But he's Surfer Magazine. Okay, a couple things. I went to Stab yesterday to start focusing on this episode. And I found a couple cool things there. And I went to Beach Grit. And I don't know, there's just like a ton of sharks and like chicks with hits and stuff. Which is a huge story this week. And I was kind of disappointed. Like, I'm like, there's not really anything. Like, this isn't legit surf stuff. You know what I mean? And I went to Surfer Magazine who... I, I guess what I'm saying is this week it feels like surfermag.com or the surfermag digital outlet did a better job of sort of engaging me. And I'm not saying, yeah. you know, they did it better than did stab, which I love and beach grit, which I like to go to just to get, you know, here's some crazy stuff from Derek and um, Chaz. But anyway, Xander Morton, Xander Morton um, was writing about, and I'll read it if you don't mind. It's a couple of quick paragraphs. Yeah, go. He said, Look, it's September 28th, two weeks past the quote-unquote peak of the Atlantic hurricane season. We're already running out of names. Since the beginning of the season, we've seen 23 storms, eight hurricanes, with 10 forming in the month of September alone. For perspective, dating back to 1966, the average amount of named storms by this date in September each year is only eight. By that metric, the 2020 season has been three times as active as the average year, and we still have two months to go. Of those 23 storms, Hurricane Teddy was the premier swell producer, a category three storm. It absolutely lit up the Caribbean and the East Coast with waves from Barbados to Nova Scotia, seeing the best days of the past decade over just this past week. Soup Bowl was all time. Puerto Rico looked like Hawaii during wintertime. And in the Northeast, where Teddy's swell comboed up with an early season cold front, that supercharged the surf and brought offshore winds, it was impossible not to score so long as you just went surfing anywhere. And then they, they go on to have a really cool photo essay of proof. And so um, what a season for the East Coast. And I'm stoked for them. So you're right. Uh, I've seen a lot of footage of East Coast surfers that I follow on Instagram from some of that run, um, guys getting shacked and all that sort of stuff. But what, what's interesting is you're right. Stab, I don't feel like covered any of that action. Certainly Beach Grid didn't. That's not really what they do. So it's funny that how different the times are right now where this major swell activity almost always drove the narrative in all of surf media. And then if there was something tangential, that would make its way in. But now the swell activity is like so low on the totem pole for clicks. It's sharks it, and tits, man. Sharks and tits. 
I mean that, so, I mean, the shark thing on beach grit is a complete joke. I mean, they have jumped the shark literally, not literally, I guess, figuratively still, but I mean, that is the definition of jumping the shark. You know what I mean? Is just driving every other story to get clicks. Um, But the booby story is actually worth discussing. (laughs) I think the booby story is, okay, let's discuss it. But I purposely, (laughs) two weeks now, haven't gone there. But um, feel free, it sounds like, okay, go for it. It's relevant. Um, But by the way, your point is super interesting still. I would like to double down on that, is that swell activity isn't a news story anymore. Yeah, it is for me. It's It's the number one story. Like right now I'm looking at what's happening with the swell, you know? Okay. Oh, and by the way. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, what I was going to say is, and I hope I'm not going down too too deep of a dive here. So I'm on Surfline just like about an hour ago, and they have the DY cam, right? DY in Australia, Sydney Mm -hmm. beaches. And, um, and there's like six guys out. It's five to seven feet. And I, and I go, you know what? I've never seen DY before. I've never seen footage of DY. I've seen a couple random images by Peter, uh, what was that? Crawford or whoever. And, but so I'm, I'm going to watch DY. So I click the DY cam and I put it on full screen and I'm watching it. And like I say, there's six guys out and I'm like, okay, this will be interesting. Are these the same like vulnerable adult learners that I've been surfing with for the past six months, co- you know, COVID era vals here in Southern California? Or are these six guys like hardcore DY locals? There's only six of them. That spot's a very tight little takeoff zone. They must know each other. I bet these guys rip. So I watched these six guys. They're complete kooks. It's no a complete foul session. There oh might be one or gosh. two guys that are like a little bit older and so – they can kind of barely get to their feet, but they're fumbling over the falls. Like there was nobody out there going bing, 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 you know, or even just like a stylish, like mid-length cruiser guy. Like right. it was just all like, like longboarder Joey going over the falls or 60-year-old guy that's on like a 6'2 chip that can't get to his feet in time and a thing lurches him or, or, you know, just some hideous style. Some guy just like barely getting to his feet. And just, like it was, I was blown away. I, I was fascinated that I was, I had this vision of like seeing Nick Carroll or somebody that actually knows how to surf ripping this wave. And it was six or seven complete barns. And I, I found that fascinating. It is fascinating. I mean, maybe if it was five to seven feet and the waves are good, there's better waves nearby that other people that the good surfers are surfing, but you're right. There's always going to be good surfers in the water at a spot like that. It's yeah, weird. I just, I mean, a, a random hour that I picked, it was just, you know, um, I guess it was kind of. I guess I was kind of heartened by the fact that I'm not alone. That there are vowels everywhere. <laughs> There's vowels in Australia. There's vowels here. Well, that's They're an em- that's an empty lineup too. That's shockingly uncrowded. If the waves are that good, I mean, I would. It's probably it wasn't epic dy, but it was five to seven foot yeah. dy. You know right. what I mean? Like there was, so, it would look fun. Like you and I would have had fun. So, um, in relation to swell not being a story anymore. I'm wondering if it's a couple of things. Right now it's COVID, so nobody can really travel anyways. Whereas if they were discussing an upcoming swell in East Coast or New York, people could actually fly out there and go. But everyone was flying there. I know you've seen the footage. Like Josh oh, right. Tudor was over there. Noah Beshin flew from Hawaii. Like all these people okay. flew Northeast to surf. Well, the other thing is all of the magazines used to have regional people. So they'd have regional photographers. If they weren't staff photographers, they were certainly, you know, um, freelancing for the magazine or whatever with writers. So there's somebody on the ground that would cover each individual region. That stuff's so long gone. So Xander Morton's right 
writing it from wherever he's at and trying to cover kind of the world. And they're not going to probably even pay for imagery anymore. So Xander can't even email the local photographers and offer money for their images. Those images we see on Instagram and he writes a story and his only take on the story is... There's a bunch of images though. There was a okay. bunch of images. Brian Nevins. Okay, I don't cool. know if they're canon, but, but there was a really high quality water images. But okay, I agree, good. they're probably getting pennies on the dollar for their right. photos. They're, basically, my point is that there's a bunch of limitations in place to doing these yeah. actual stories that weren't in place. There's a whole system... E ecosystem and structure built to do those stories previously that has completely yeah. got eroded from the bottom basically. Um, yeah. And then there's, yeah, that's, but it's a bummer. I mean, it's a bummer, but we get to see the footage on Instagram immediately the afternoon after or the day of. So I guess it's a blessing and a curse, but anyway, it, it was, it's a good season. They're having a good time over there. Yeah. Good, good, good for them. Um, okay, so I'm going to bring you up to speed. Ellie Jean Coffey is the girl that we're discussing, and she's yes. one of she's one of the four Coffee sisters. Uh, she's yes. the eldest of the four. Do you follow Ellie Jean on Instagram? No, okay. I don't. I don't have time for that. Okay, well then I'll bring you up to speed. Okay, there. This family's whole brand and whole um, kind of marketing bent is TNA. They're wearing G-strings. I mean, if I had to make an equivalent to mainstream, they almost feel like the Kardashians, where it's like they're selling this kind of beauty and buxom. They're all very buxom. And they're wearing G-strings and they're wearing bikinis, every image. And it's not like she happens to have big boobs and a big booty, but she's covering it up or she's being modest about it. They're absolutely selling TNA. They're wearing G-strings, posting photos, doing a bottom turn, or posting slow-mode footage of doing a turn on a skateboard right in front of the camera, showcasing their G-stringed booty. Like, it's so overt, it's crazy. So, yeah. but, I, I mean, they all have hundreds of thousands of followers and whatever, so I'm not even mad at it, but... Um, Wait a minute, would you be mad if they only had four followers? No, not I'm, I'm not mad at, no, I'm not mad at them make, choosing to make a living selling their sexuality. Okay. That's what I'm not okay. mad about. Okay. But the controversy started about a month ago. Ellie Jean released a private porn channel. There's websites dedicated to doing this. So she starts posting on Instagram what looked like nude photos with um, censored across her nipples saying, hey, go to my private account and give me 10 bucks a month and you can see actual nude photos. So people started doing it and she wasn't giving the nude photos. So she was taking people's money, but not actually delivering what she promised to deliver on this nude channel. So there's this whole Reddit thread of people basically saying, Ellie Jean's ripping us off. We're giving her money for things that she says she's doing and she's not doing it. And I apparently, <laughs> apparently she was go, like- Go, go, I'm a fan. <laughs> I'm a fan of Ellie Jean all of a sudden. So, apparent, so apparently Ellie Jean, the, the $10 was like the entry level see bare, bare breasts, right? But then yeah. she had like an $85 option, which was her like using a vibrator, like pretty explicit porn. Right. Right. And guys are shelling out money and she's not giving them anything. To, from what I could <laughs> read from the Reddit thing, like she never actually did anything, but she took everybody's money. And so right. every time these guys complained, they actually got banned 
like she banned him, blocked him. So um, th- some Australian outlet, Australian news outlet did an interview with her about it. And she said, look, it's empowering. Actually, I think I even have some of the quotes. Um, she said, it's liberating knowing how strong, how I'm strong enough to face this adversity and do what I want to do to express myself openly. I couldn't imagine in my wildest dreams how well this website has gone. Personally, for me as a young woman, I have enjoyed every minute of it. Also, the new friends that I've been created and relationships that I'm building have been amazing. While I'm not going to share how much money I've been making, I will say it's by far the most successful opportunity I've taken. But more importantly, it empowers me uh, to motivate other women to not limit themselves in fear of other people's opinions. It makes me happy interacting with my followers on a daily basis, building these relationships. And I've learned so much about my fans and helped thousands increase their confidence and feel more positive about themselves. Okay. All fine and well, whatever. Well, then all these news stories started coming out about her ripping off her fans. So she then did a news story yesterday or the day before, um, saying, not addressing that at all, but basically saying that she has been experienced a bunch of misogyny through the male industry, male dominated surf industry when she was a kid. And it was really toxic and it was really tragic and it harmed her life. Uh, the, the quote, the abuse, both mentally and physically that I've endured during my teenage years, far away from home with adults in positions of power has haunted me my whole life. Uh, it was a pretty horrible time in my life. And I think that people in positions of power tend to abuse that power. I was only a young girl and it's taken me a long time to recover. So that was the most recent story. So this thing does not make sense. Nothing makes sense here. What about it doesn't make sense? Well, well, first of all, these guys got ripped off. They paid money. They didn't get what they want. They didn't get what they were told they were going to get. Right. She's, she's just, and then she says, I'm empowering women. Screw you. Basically, right? Right. And then they complain more and the news gets on it and she goes, I'm a victim. Exactly. She goes, she goes to victimhood. Exactly. Okay. That's exactly right. And so to me, what was interesting about it is when you watch politics or the Kardashians for that matter, and you see these stories, I don't watch the Kardashian show. I'm saying the Kardashians in the news. I know you do. Did you follow them? I know you do. You see these, you see these, um, PR spins on stories and it, it almost is so convoluted at that level. You don't know who's saying what, maybe she she actually planted the sex tape so she could be famous. Like that never would have dawned on me in a million years. You know what I mean? Um, but with Ellie Jean, it's such a small industry still that you can track the PR spin. So obviously it's like literally on Friday news comes out about her ripping off guys who are giving her money by Monday, there's a new story out that covers up that old story about her being victimized. By the way, in the story, I read the whole article. It was like, she never gives one example of being victimized. I'm not discounting that like it is a misogynist industry and all that sort of stuff, but she never gives any examples of it. The timing is super suspect. It's just really, it's interesting to see them leveraging one new story. complaining about it is what's suspect. Right. She's, She's selling sex and now she's complaining about a misogynistic culture. Exactly. Exactly. Which is all PR. It's all designed as PR spin. Um, I mean her, yeah. I mean her pivoting to porn out of surfing 
as a uh, result of it all, as a result of the victimization, is an interesting topic of conversation on its own. But um, I don't think it's that interesting. You don't? No, I think I think she's boring. I think this topic is kind of boring. I, not not the fact. I'm I'm not trying to shame you for bringing it to us here today. I just I think that Ellie Jean Coffee and her family are a bunch of loons, and I don't think they deserve our time. Fair enough. So I she was talking the, about it. Well, she was the, gives her what she wants, and I think she's. I don't think she's got it all. You know, it's like I always say. I'm. I'm there because I'm not all here. You always say that? Well, I just said it once. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't remember <laughs> you ever saying that. Um, I think it's highly relevant. I think Ellie Jean is the number 25th rated surfer in the world, or was at the peak of her prime. What? She surfs really, really well. By the way, the other sisters Dude, do too. There's got to be a twenty somebody that's better than her that's 25th in the world. Come on. For sure. For sure there are better surfers than in every ranking that are lower rated. But my point is using yeah. sex to sell surfing is as old as surfing is as surf media is itself. And it's yeah. super well, relevant. We've, we've, we've not, yeah, we've not seen anybody transition into kind of the mainstream media role via sex work uh, successfully. There's a couple examples of pro female surfers who posed in Playboy, but they still never fully transitioned into that world. And Ellie Jean is making a legitimate run at it. That's a story. Yeah, again, I, I guess that's a story. Yeah. But I don't, again, I don't think it has anything to do with riding waves. You know, she, like to me, used, it's, she used her um, wave riding prowess to get people to give no, her 10 bucks tits. a person. She used her tits and her ass. That's what she used. Yeah. I mean, well, I've never seen her surf. And quite frankly, I'd be surprised if you had even ever heard of her before. I, the only reason I heard of her from maybe from five years ago is when I started hearing about her was because of all the TNA that she was pumping yeah. through Instagram. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So yeah. it's just a TNA story. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't think, like I said, I'm not a fan of, I just think it's kind of one of the cancers of our culture is this, not necessarily the TNA, but the the idea that we're all like glomming onto the story. To me, it's like, dude, are you fucking kidding me? Like, who gives a shit? Like, I don't, you know what I mean? Like, kind she of ripped, she ripped people off. She said she was. Get, so did fucking. Uh, you would absolutely care, dude. If if there was a surf, <laughs> if there was a surf uh, forecast app. No, care. if there was a surf well, forecast app that that's took your different. ten. No, no, no. The that's, story. The story surf. is. No, the story is taking bilking people of their money for something that you promised you're going to pay them. Like if there was a surf line, a surf I, forecast I app that took your 10 bucks and didn't give you the forecast, that's a story. We would have to discuss it. I, I agree. I totally agree with that. But that's because we're talking about surfing. We're not talking about pornography on the show. She, yeah, <laughs> she is a legitimate, she's a professional surfer. By the way, I'm so stoked that, that there's surfers that got their 85 bucks taken. I mean, I it is funny. I think it's funny. Come it on, is, surfers it is are the very worst. Funny. In this case, Ellie's the worst. It is very funny. Uh, well, moving on then. Yeah. Um, it's been four years, David Lee Scales, since the Eddie Icow Big Wave Invitational ran. Crazy. And a soon-to-be world champion, John John Florence, won it in 2016 
four long years mired by lack of swell and financial woes and some craziness amongst the rivaling parties over there in Hawaii. And um, once again, this year, the Eddy is not going to go. It's been canceled for this coming season, basically due to the COVID situation, the travel ban in Hawaii or, you know, whatever is going on in Hawaii. Um, they've decided to, to put an end to it. And I was thinking kind of randomly about this the other day when I was driving and I was like, you know what they really need? Like, this. tell me if you've ever seen this. But there's been, I think, I don't know, six or eight eddies have run or something. I don't know. I might even say here. Um, anyway, there's been a few that have run, right? Let's just say there's been eight that have actually gone. Maybe it's six. I don't know. I've never seen a mashup of that event all in one clip. Like, all the killer rides from 25 years or whatever. What, what's it been? Like, 30 years or whatever. I think they did the first one in 84. So, 35 years of eddie like you know what i mean you would think yeah. that we would see a mashup so upon thinking that i'm like oh okay well that's because quicksilver probably owns all that footage and they didn't give it to the iCal family because that would be the killer little ramp up to your event is to yeah and all those rides and talk to all those guys about their rides and talk about flea getting flung over the you know like just all those great stories um did quicksilver sponsor it from the inception I believe they did. The very first one might not have been a Quicksilver thing. I think mm. they did one and then they brought it to McKnight. But I think the first one, I I think it was at Sunset Beach or it was at, it ended at Haleiwa or something. Like it wasn't at Waimea. And it was, I think it was Denton Miyamura or one of those Haleiwa locals won it. I forget what his name is, but anyway. I didn't, I didn't realize the first one wasn't at Waimea. Yeah. First one was at sunset or, and then it might've finished at Haleiwa or I think it was at sunset. Yeah. That's a good uh, bit of trivia. I don't know how I never heard that before. Um, do you think it'll ever run again? Yeah, I do. do I you? think it'll run. Yeah. I'm not sure when. Um, I hope it does. I hope it doesn't do what the Duke Invitational did, which is just die on the vine. I honestly wouldn't be surprised if it never ran again. I think, um, Obviously, they don't have a major sponsor. Quicksilver backed out of that a few years ago. But you alluded to there's infighting kind of within the family or the ownership of the entity itself, the asset. And they can't kind of, whoever those people are, can't get on the same page for how to run the event or whether or not to work with Quicksilver or whatever. And so I think that will bar it harder than anything else. And then additionally it's just harder and harder to get a permit. It's more and more expensive to get a permit for something like that. It's harder and harder to get the permit and to get everybody to sign off and agree to do it in the same exact way. And it's going to be wildly expensive. And so if you don't have like a, a strong partnership with a brand who's willing to foot that bill and you're willing to kind of give some of the reign of control over to that entity, there's just too many moving parts in this. There needs to be a real strong spearhead leader, and I don't see that person emerging, you know? Un unfortunately. That's a, pretty good, that's a very good take, actually. Um, it's sad. As I sit here and dwell on what you're telling me, a um, couple of things that I can add to your take is that it could be argued that after 30 years and running six, and eight, six to eight of these in honor of Eddie, Eddie's memory and his legacy has, very, has been cemented because of what we've done for 35 years with this event what Quicksilver did, how they poured in, you know, an opening ceremony every single winter. Like 
there's no lack of understanding from any of us about Eddie's legacy and what he means to the Hawaiian spirit and to the Hawaiian people and to the word aloha. And so it could be argued that we, we did it. We, we've cemented Eddie's legacy. We don't need to do it every year. Like it's done. Like, you know what I mean? Like, look, look at what a great job we did. You know, like every, everyone around the world, there was a friggin' ESPN movie on Eddie Aikau, probably in part because of the great, work that they did at Quicksilver over the years. So I, I agree with you. It might not ever run again. And and maybe Eddie's legacy's intact and we're good. And it would be nice to make sure that we keep reminding people about it, you know, but yeah, it might not ever run again, especially also in light of the Jaws event, which kind of takes this big wave Hawaiian thing and and kind of takes some of the thunder away. Yeah. It's a bummer though. I mean, for us as the fans are just, uh, it's such a great event and we don't have anything else like it really. Um, so it'd be a disappointment to not ever see it again. But. Well, look, also the community, you know, like, first of all, if you've never been to one, have you ever been to one no, live? No. Okay. It's insane. Like talk about gladiator, you know, like people lining the bay. It's just, it's just a scene. It's insane. It's right. really a cool thing. It's really exciting place to be. It's, it's mind blowing. The entire, you know, everyone are, that's ringing the, the bay is, Oh, like you can hear everyone screaming and yeah, it's just cool. But on the flip side of that, the community is probably just sick of like, like the traffic jam is just ridiculous. Like I'm sure there's many in the community that wouldn't say it out loud. That'd be like, Oh, cool. I'm glad they're not running it. Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's that too. So, yeah. Well, interesting. And by the way, for any listeners who heard you uh, say the ESPN documentary, it's well worth watching. I think it was 30. Was it a 30 for 30? Yeah, it, it was, was a 30 for 30. And Eddie yeah. Icao, I think Sam George produced. So go check um, that out. Paul, sure. my friend Paul. Um, That's right. Paul Evans? No, no. Not um, Evans. Um, Tobley. No. Yeah, Paul Tobley. Thank you. Paul Tobley did it. Yeah, that's right. Um, Sam probably wrote it. So... Quick follow-up. I was joking with you about if you spent 10 bucks on a, on a surf forecast app, I have a follow-up update for listeners on the lazy surfer app, which we've talked about a couple of months in a row. Um, it's completely free. So it's actually not $10. It's a completely free app, but it remembers the conditions of your surf sessions. Um, and then alerts you when the conditions are similar. So the idea is that you kind of log your sessions. So you can go on there, get the surf report for your, whatever your local spot, log your sessions on your phone and it has an algorithm that tracks size, wind, all that uh, tide. And then it sends you reminders um, for when the forecast is going to be like your kind of best sessions, you rate your sessions. But one thing that you and I gave feedback for with that app, and I think our listeners actually might've come up with the idea first is to implement like a social aspect. Cause we were talking about, the most common thing you do in the morning is you text your friends where are the waves going to be good. Oh, you surfed there. What were the waves like? Do you have a photo of it? Like, let me like, so we were telling Nick at lazy surfer that he should implement some sort of a social feed. And so he's actually implemented that. So there's, um, basically you can have friends on, you can request to be friends with people, you know, on the app, they have to accept your friendship request and then you can only uh, see their sessions if they make that available to you. They can keep it private if they want. The idea is you can't just go look at everybody's sessions on there. There's some sort of a private element to it. 
but you can share your sessions with friends is the idea. So rather than having a text thread that you're constantly updating with all your buddies and getting pinged on, you go on lazy surfer, you rate your session, you leave your notes about it. Your friends can see that rather than hounding you about it. You could see where they were at and um, it's a cool update. So lazy surfer app, totally yeah. free. Yeah. No, the lazy surfer app's cool. And, and uh, you know, I know of a bunch of people and one that comes to mind is Terry Hendricks. I don't know if you knew Terry, he's passed away, but he was a, he was a, a Swami's local kneeboarder and he was a scientist guy down at Scripps and he would chart every single session, you know, and he had one yeah. of those, um, one of those tide calendars from, um, from John, uh, I forget his last name, but anyway, he would just, Terry would put all his, you know, every little session, every little situation, what the wind's like, what the tide's like, blah, blah, blah. And he had this calendar that was just like a robust, you know, survey of every single surf session for years and years and years and years. And that's what the lazy surfer app can do. You know, it's exactly. like just a simple way to, to, to understand what you did each and every session so that you can refer to it and you can just have it, you know, and skip fry does that skip's got That's an insane right. log of stuff like that. And there's a bunch of people, there's a bunch of guys that, that, um, you know, that sort of have that, that inkling to log their information and, and uh, you and I are using it. So. Well, to be able to have it and to be able to share it with your friends without having to text everybody is a good update. I mean, yeah. could you imagine if you had a log of every session you've ever surfed? Like a diary? I wish I did. It would I, take I mean, so I, much effort though. Well, now it's easy, but I would I love to be able to look back and go, oh, that's right, Blacks, 1985. Oh, you know, like to be able to look at that, like, because I can barely remember yesterday's surf session. You say that, but I oh. sent you a photo from our archives. I came across it in our website archives of you knifing into a drop at Swami's and I sent you the photo and you immediately got back to me and you named the date. You told me about that wave. You like knew crystal clear. Okay. So here's what's funny. So that was a huge day. The biggest day I've ever served Swami's, right? It was macking. And here's a funny story. Derek Disney and I happened to be walking down the stairs together. I've told you this, haven't I? Yeah, Derek go. Disney and I happened to be walking down the stairs at the same time. And it's so macking and there's so much energy and so much swell and so much current moving north to south. And guys are just getting washed in. There's, and there's only like six guys that have made it out, you know. And Derek and I, normally you paddle out right at the bottom of the stairs or whatever. We like went way down to Boneyards, way north. And we both kind of dove in, looked at each other and just dove in, didn't say anything to each other and started scraping. And, you know, like – Within 10 minutes, I was in the zone where it's either, I'm gonna either sneak out or I'm gonna get washed down the beach and be toast. And I remember I sat up on my board, I'm like, okay, one more try, I'm gonna give it one more try. Back, no, I wasn't riding this board, but I was riding a board just like this. It was It Bing. looked similar, it was the same color. Yeah, it's this, this board was made, it was, I, was, I replaced the Bing with this one, it's the same 6'6". Six, six. Anyway, so I sat up on my board, I'm like, shit, man, I was like burnt, you know, and I, by this time I drifted into where, the, the normally the channel is but there's no channel it's just like okay one more go and and i like i think there's a little break you know and i just scramble 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 and of course once you get past that one line of water okay now you're outside you know and you're not going to ride a wave inside you're just going to ride the outside and kick out you know yeah. i got out and derek got out and um and there like i said there was probably six of us and a lot of guys going oh i don't know bobbing and weaving and course Derek was charging and and I got quite a few good waves that day too 
So Derek got a couple too. I'm sure he did. I don't, I'm yeah, he did. I mean, he, he was on a bigger board and Derek's a great surfer. So, you know, I don't exactly recall every wave he caught, but yeah, I don't know if you saw one, one of those heightened senses sessions where you're just like, oh, yeah. you know, oh, you know, but the thing is, is that they were all kind of rolling up to the reef. Like, you know, there was a few cappers on the North peak way up there, but you could pretty much count on them. The tide was low. So you could count on them coming to, to your zone and just, you just got to kind of sit on it and wait for it. Who shot the photo? Um, Tom, uh, Owen's father, Tom, um, I forget his last name, but. And he just, just randomly. Owen, he, at the time he was shooting a ton of photos there. He was like, like every day was surf, was shooting photos of Swamis cause his son Owen was surfing. And, um, and his, yeah, his name's Thomas. I forget his last name right now, but. Um, but the fact that he randomly got that photo of you is like oh, that's, so that's, lucky. I got a full sequence of that. I got a sequence oh, really? of that. I got other waves too. Yeah. Good. Awesome. Well, hey, do you have a five o'clock out? I do. So do we want to wrap with Duke, Kook, all that sort of stuff? Yes, please. Um, let me see. What do I got here? I don't know if I have a Duke or Kook. I can go. See. I think I've I got one. I remember. Oh, shit. Okay. Who do you got? Well, my Duke is Sean Doherty. Um, you know Sean? I do know Sean. So Sean just bought Surfing World magazine. Really? Can you believe that? That's cool. That's going to be a labor of love. <laughs> exactly. And it has been for <laughs> recent years. So when I was out there last March, I spent some time with him. We surfed together and stuff and um, went to his office. He was the last man standing at the magazine. It was literally a one man show, you know? And so uh it seems i'm gonna actually interview him on the podcast he just confirmed while you and i were recording he emailed and said we're on so i'm gonna record a podcast i'll get all the details but apparently he got it for basically nothing he got it for cheap wasn't a huge investment because you're right it is just a labor of love at this point but i love that he did it and i love that he has a day job with patagonia so he's gonna be doing it not trying to make a living on it and so I think that is going to net better results. Like if you can just do that thing as a passion project, which by the way, he has more passion for that medium than almost anybody I know. So if he can just do it as like an art project. He's the only one. There's only one. <laughs> I mean, I mean, the people, at the, Surfer's Journal, <laughs> the people at the Surfer's Journal are still passionate oh, about kidding. it. You know? I'm so, excited. And I love the magazine too. So I'm really excited about this. Um, Sam McIntosh wrote about it and did a little Q&A with Sean. The Q&A yeah. I can review real quickly. It's going to be quarterly. He's going to keep his day job. He's going to focus on quality rather than just filling out the ad space in the magazine. He's sticking to a subscription model um, yeah. in, the same, in a similar vein that the Surfer's Journal where yeah. they figured out what the number was. They need 20,000 subscribers and they can have six adver they do a very limited amount of advertising in the surfers journal they have six advertisers that sign on i think for at least a year yeah. and it's just those advertisers every year and yeah. we're going to just charge whatever $13 a magazine or whatever it is and we need 20,000 of them and yeah. and then you know sell them at retail as well anyways Sean's going to be following a similar model i wish him the best of luck in the write up with Sam Sam um 
in his introduction, he gave a little explanation that I think would be really worth reading right now because I think that it's good just to get down for posterity to understand the way that the business unfolded. So if you don't mind, I'll read this real quick. Yeah. Sam says, a little background. My business partner, Tom Bird, and I sold Stab Magazine to Surf Stitch back in 2015, an acquisition that happened in line with the acquisition of the European surf forecasting site, Magic Seaweed. 12 months in, the Surf Stitch uh, CEO changed hands, and inev inevitably, so did the strategy. New management wanted to unload the assets they'd acquired. At that point, Stab was being bundled up with Magic Seaweed, and the most likely suitor for an acquisition was Surfline. It turns out, however, Surfline had purchased Surf Media before when they acquired Water Magazine back in 2007. It was buried soon after, and Surfline's appetite for Surf Media um, basically dissipated. Surf Stitch did sell Magic Seaweed to Surfline, but we, meaning Sam and Tom, got Stab Magazine back. They purchased it back, and last year there was talk about the Australian surf forecaster Coastal Watch and their print publication Surfing World being on the market. Mirroring, uh, mirroring their previous play, Surfline wanted to buy the surf forecasting site, but not the media publication. So that's how the media publication ended up solo, and that's how Sean ended up purchasing it. So I'll get to the bottom of it all. Coastal Watch? Apparently, or I, I mean, he doesn't say whether they did or whether they didn't, but yeah, I wonder why that's, it. that's why the DY cam was on Surfline, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. So kudos to Sean. He is my Duke of the week. And in addition to, by the way, he did all of that work for fight the bite. And now he's taken up kind of the mantle as being an environmental activist. And that falls yeah. in line with his work with uh, Patagonia in Australia as well. Yeah. But I'm a huge yeah. fan. The dude's so capable. He has a brand new book that's out right now called Golden Days, which I'll discuss with him as well. But he's my Duke of the Week. Great purchase. Great cool. move. I'm looking forward to that podcast. He's a, he's a great guy. And it's going to be a lively conversation. Uh, my kook is on Connor, Con Connor Coffin's Instagram. Did you see him run over the guy at Lowers? The longboarder? Yeah. Yeah, I did. What happened? That guy's a kook, the longboarder, paddling the wrong way. He paddled straight into the face of a crumbly lip when Connor Coffin's running down the line at him. Like, paddle into the impact zone. Paddle towards where the wave is breaking. I got breaking. run over by a longboarder yesterday, two days ago. Are you kidding? No. What's the story? I took off on a wave, screamed at two people that were dropping in on me. One guy, like, dropped in and kicked out, and then this girl on a longboard was like, oh, and then tried to pull back and pushed her board out. So I grabbed the board, I'm riding the wave, then her leash pulled on me and we went down and um, we came up and she was extremely apologetic and just over the, over the moon bummed out about the situation. And, and we became, you know, it was all good. I was like, hey, you know what? I've been there, I've been you. Because I've been you, I can relate to what you're going through right now. I see myself in you. As soon as I can do that, then we're a little bit closer to humanity. Did you actually scream in her face? What's the real story? The real story is I came up and I said, you got to go in right now. You're dangerous. And she goes, okay. And Did I had you to really? I wasn't, yeah. And I wasn't wearing a leash, so I had, to swim after, I had to swim into the beach. So I swam into the beach, grabbed my board, 
but I was very cool about it. I was like, Hey, look, there's a, there's like 30 people out here and you obviously don't know what you're doing. You need to go down the, go in and go surf down the beach. And I was, you know, it wasn't like a screaming thing. And she was like, okay, okay. I'm so sorry. And then on the beach, I walked up to her and said, Hey, are you okay? And she goes, yes, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm like, Hey, no problem. I'm so stoked that you're out here surfing. It's good. Surfing's great. We're stoked you're here. She's like, I'm going to go down there. Like you said, I'm like, Hey, good idea. That'll be, you know, it was all quite good. good. Uh, how old was she? I don't know. My wife asked, I think she was like 25, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. 25 to 30, maybe. Yeah. I mean, vulnerable adult learner. Totally. And that's, we're experiencing so much of that in COVID and it's, um, you don't know what you don't know. So for her to show up at the beach, see that everybody's sitting out where you were sitting, it makes sense that she would make her way out there. But I mean, you have to be pretty naive to not understand the strata of difference between those surfers and yourself you know, like it's pretty dumb. Well, the, the guy in Connor Coffin's clip, Connor Coffin's bottom turning, there's a crumbly lip. He blows fins and like fully lip slides. And as he's coming down, you notice a longboarder getting, uh, drifting up the face of the wave sideways, by the way. He's, and he's got like an eight foot, nine foot board. You could never, lowers. it looks like lowers. lowers. So you could. Longboarders at lowers? What are those guys doing? Exactly. They shouldn't, but. You could never get through that wave going, turning your board sideways. Sideways is the last position you would want it in. <laughs> you want to be perpendicular to the way that the wave is breaking, not parallel. And so inevitably, he, he like flips the board over and ends up underneath it. And Connor lands right on. Like as Connor's coming off the turn, he cannonballs and actually jumps over the longboard and lands in the water. And he said that they dinged rails. Nobody was hurt but he dinged the rail on his shortboard. But it was the kookiest move I've seen in a very long time. And your, your story seconds it in that, yeah. hey, all of you vulnerable adult learners who are just finding our surf podcast for the first time now, go down the beach. Listen to Kook You from a month ago. Go down the beach. <laughs> okay, well, look, I've got to get on another Zoom call here. So um, I would like for you to, what music are you going to, what's the theme? Here. Is I there some sort of, of mask? Is there some sort of mask song? Um, there probably is. Can we do the theme from the movie The Mask? No. Is How that... about Thriller? Michael Jackson's Thriller. Sure. In what... I don't know. How's that's that kind related? of a mask. You wear a mask like Halloween. You put on a mask for Halloween. He turns into a monster. Um, you can pick the song if you want. Do you have something good? I'll send you. you I'll send you. I'll probably do. I'll send you something. I'll yeah. think about it. Because I find myself struggling sometimes. So yeah. Okay, okay. I'm gonna leave you with this. I'm gonna leave okay. you with this. Um, I hate wearing pants. Pants are super uncomfortable, but I wear them anyway. For you. Put on a mask. It's not that hard. Closing sentiments. Until Poignant. next time. Poignant. Adios. Aloha.
So cool. 